through uh, until the sambandha is is realized, then bhava bhakti and one's practice, anubha practice, is very is fully informed. You can begin being informed theoretically, which will be helpful. And as the theory becomes realized, then it becomes informed that much more. Hmm. Um, so, I want to say initiation in one sense doesn't happen in a, in a day. It could, or in a moment, I suppose, but um, uh, in many places we find the explanation of the gradual removal of karma. For example, in Mandarikadambini we find that in the tikas of of Jiva Goswami, Vishnu Chavutitakura, and Rupa's, Rupa's book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, where, where the removal of karma is said to be kleshagni, a, a characteristic of a sadhana bhakti. Sadhana bhakti removes klesha, suffering, misery. Mm-hmm. And that means it removes karma. Mm-hmm. And it does it in in stages also. It removes enough parabdha in the beginning that we can practice and then gradually it removes karma that is not yet manifest and the entirety of parabdha in due course as as well. Hmm. So many, many statements about the gradual removal of karma through bhakti, hmm, which is given by the guru. So the guru, guru gives bhakti so the guru removes karma. Hmm. Now that said, um, someone recently wrote me about a statement Hari Bhakti Vilas along the lines of the guru taking responsibility for the karma, something along those lines. I can't remember. I have it in an email exactly what the verse was, but I was able to explain it to him um, in such a way that the, the confusion that you bring up that some people have was removed. And it was appropriate um, uh, relative to the verse. Uh, forgive me that I can't um, recall. But what Sanatana Goswami was saying, or the verse that he was citing, I don't think it was his original verse, was saying that the guru is responsible for those whom he initiates. Hmm. So if they don't act appropriately, hmm, then he bears some responsibility. So that's a different thing than removing the karma that the disciples already have. So, therefore, there are statements to the effect that gurus should stand up and renounce disciples if they are not following and uh, say, I take no responsibility. I took responsibility. I can no longer take responsibility for him or her, so on and so forth. There are um, statements to that effect. Of course, he may be able to digest that as well. Hmm. Um, um, depending on his power, Prabhupada used to lament that his only sin was that he accepted too many unqualified disciples. And so, um, apparently he felt responsible for some of their um, misbehavior and so forth. But he was able to, di- to digest it nonetheless. Hmm. So that's another side, right? Once coming under the shelter, then acting outside of the parameters that are set up and so on and so forth. Um, therefore, it's sometimes said, you know, conversely, we, 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 we tell the 
quality of the guru by the disciples, the good disciples. We think we had a good guru, something that doesn't always work out. <laughs> there are bad disciples, might be a good guru, there might be a good disciple and a bad guru too. But anyway, there's some, some generally there's some correspondence there. So, um, so that, again, bhakti has the power to remove even the prabhda karma, which gyan does not have, although gyan can remove the avidya, that's the source of karma, and all the unmanifest karma. The manifest karma is like the karma, it's like having a cold. Once you get it, you know, you got to wait six days or, or a week, you know. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, that's, that's to get, good, give, give a good example. The power of bhakti is that it can remove karma that's already manifesting, already bearing fruit. Hmm? And of course, it uh, particularly it, it does this in the stage of bhava bhakti. Then hmm? all the karma is removed once liberated. Krishna may give some karma hmm, to keep him in the world or her in the world to practice and cultivate bhava into praying and to do good for others and so on and so forth. Hmm? There's also a description in of Baladevijabhushan and Govindabhasha of, of Krishna taking the good karma of the, his devotee, near a piksha devotee or renounced, surrendered devotee, and giving it to his friends and his bad karma and giving it to his enemies. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so again, there's this gradual removal of karma and so on and so forth. And it's not all happening. In one minute the devotee gets initiated and all their karma is gone. That said, there's a considerable emphasis on the efficacy of bhakti and nam, harinam, nam kirtan, in particular to remove karma, which is really um, an element uh, you have to appreciate with an element of, with a, you have to have faith in such statements. You can't consider them some type of exaggeration or something like that. So, again, there's this idea of the power of bhakti and namkirtan in particular to remove karma, the statements in the Bhagavatam to that effect, aho bhattasvapacho togariyam jivagri namatubhyam, and so forth. Uh, there's two of them in the third canto, forgive me, I used to know all, so many, but... Um, that svapacho means the dog-eater, aho bhattasvapacho togariyam very quickly, immediately, even a low-born person becomes qualified to perform the Vedic sacrifices, which is the karma of the Brahmins. Although he's born with Prabhupada karma that wouldn't allow him to do that, he wouldn't be suited for that, He's immediately able to do that, which means not that all the karma is removed, parabdha karma, but enough parabdha karma that he could be engaged such if he so desires. He doesn't have any desire for that because he desires Shuddha Bhakti only, not just uh, Vedic rituals and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so... Uh, the idea is there also then Krishna's nam, the nam removes the karma. Indeed, again, the, the emphasis is considerable by way of saying that even a shadow, a semblance of the name, can remove the karma. What to speak of the 
Shudanam. So we should chant Shudanam. Hmm? We should come under the conception of Rupa Goswami, of Shuddha Bhakti, and conceptually be oriented towards that and do Shudanam. Hmm? Not uh, uh, Nama Parad, not Nama Bhas. And, and so, but even, and the example is there, the prominent example of Ajamiya in the sixth canon of the Bhagavatam, hmm? by Nama Bhas, uh, he was saved from what the agents of Yama thought was his due based on his karma. So he wasn't actually culpable hmm, for that, uh, that, that karma on the strength of Nama Bas. Hmm. So those are powerful statements as to the efficacy of bhakti. And I mean, you could look at it like it has the power. It may not always express that power in Nama Bas, but it, we know it does from Majamil. It, it has that power. Whether Nam is Krishna himself, whether he expresses that power in every instance of Nama Bas, it would seem doubtful. But but he, he can. A shadow of himself can do that. And of course, when we understand Nam to be non-different from Krishna, then the argument's over. Of course Krishna can do that. Only a shadow of the appearance of Krishna could remove karma and give liberation. It's like a course. But when we don't really make the connection... Nam is Krishna, we may have doubt in the efficacy of Nam, and people may as well. Well, they're chanting, but, hmm, but is the Nam different, not different than Krishna? Well, it's not the pure Nam. Well, then it's shadow. Even <laughs> shadow of Krishna has great power. Um, but then, you know, there are different ways of thinking, of course, about Nama Bas. The way it's described in the Bhagavatam is, is, is one way. Hmm? And um, we don't do that. We do Shuddha Nam. We do the Nam under the guidance of Rupa Goswami. There are Shuddha Bhaktas or Uttam Bhaktas of the Sadaka type, of the Bhava type, and of the Prem type. Hmm? This is the school of Uttam Bhakti, the school of Shuddha Bhakti. We're in that school. We're not in school of mixed Bhakti, mixed with yoga, with Gyan, with Karma, and so forth. So conceptually, this is the name that we're, we're chanting. Now, Bhakti Vinod had a... Uh, uh, developed the idea of Shraddhanama Bas, for example. So it would mean within the school of Sudha Bhakti, where there's Shraddha, which is the which is the eligibility faith for treading the path. Still, one's chanting is not uh, not perfect, hmm? and um, and there is a there is there is a period, and this is there's a verse to this effect in, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as well. And it's cited by Krishna Skaviraj in regard to the story of Namacharya um, Haridas Thakur stating in the assembly of Brahmins that just by a semblance of the name one get liberation and that being objected to and the objector becoming an offender and so on and so forth. This verse is both, I can't remember the verse exactly, but it speaks of Namabhas like the dawning of the sun wherein the, the sky lights up it's daytime, but you can't see the sun yet. But like you know, it's it's day. You start acting like it's day, and the sun is there, even though it's still behind the mountain. Hmm? So I think that Bhakti Vinod is looking at that, and he developed this idea of Shraddhanama Bas within the school of Bhutan Bhakti. He looked at Nama Bas as like a as a as a kind of a clearing hmm, stage that give rise to 
the sun fully appearing in uh, um, as the uh, chanter becomes fully purified, something like that. Um, so we're anyway. The point is that Nam has the power to remove the karma. So and has the power to give devotees different karma <laughs> or to adjust the karma and so on and so forth. So we don't under, under, underestimate the power of Nam and um, the position of those coming under his influence. And at the same time, um, not everybody is situated, uh, and not all the flowers blossom at the same time, something like that. So... Um, there is a gradual process and a gradual removal of karma, but I mean, it's, we could say that anybody involved in bhakti. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, bhakti Sundar Govinda Marsh was an astrologer, the, the successor of Pujapat Sridharmarsh. He used to say that the problem with uh, astrology for devotees is that the most important planet is not in their chart, but it's in their life. Mm-hmm. Goloka Premudhan Harinam Sankirtan. So it is said that the Dhan, the wealth of Golok, its Prem, has been brought to the world, which is its essence, what it's about, through by Mahaprabhu through Nam Sankirtan. So now Goloka Vrindavan is in your chart. And but it, but but that's not going to show up on any astrological, you know, something like that. So he's basically saying now Krishna's in your life, so the equation uh, uh changes. Hmm? very auspicious. Uh, but you're not free from all the influences. And again, Vishwana Chakrataka gives a gradual removal of karma, of, of, the, of, the, of the anarthas, let's say, corresponding with good and bad karma. Hmm? I think there must be, what, fully eradicated in, in bhava, something like that. Hmm? And then there's other lesser stages of eradicate, er, eradication Inishta, almost, and some others lingering, and so on. It gives a whole gradual um, removal of karma corresponding with different stages and, and, and offenses as well. That's another thing. So karma is like the sins of the flesh and offenses like sins of the soul. And they're more indelible. When I was a kid, we were Catholics, and then they used to tell us about mortal and venial sins, and I kind of envisioned this like glowing thing in the heart that you know areas of my soul and it you want to be careful not to get a black <laughs> mark you know on the brilliant soul little small venial they were called venial i think sins they're mortal mortal and venial sins mortal sins you get the picture it's mortal <laughs> it's mortifying it's the sin of the soul you've gone against bhakti hmm? the agents of bhakti the teaching and so forth. That's like another realm. That's why those aparat, those offenses, can carry into the spiritual realm of bhakti in the, in the, in in the stage of bhava bhakti. A bhava bhakti is also a siddha. I mean, the perfection of sadhana bhakti is bhava bhakti, but offenses, hmm, which are mortal sins, they can. Sins of the of the soul, they can carry the reactions can carry into bhava bhakti, and take some time. Then, because they are sins of the soul, bhava bhakti is the land, the realm of the soul. The soul is now separated from the body. Its parabdha is gone. 
even who your parents are has now changed, right? I've said this before. You can't. Your Prabhu Karma says you're the son of so and so and so and so, right? How can you change that? In Baba Bhakti, it changes because you get parents from Goloka hmm? and an identity hmm? and, uh, and, and, and and so forth, and you're living internally in that. So you have new parents and, and in this life, still in the present. So it's a living. It's it's like Baba Bhakti is like you graduated from college, you were drafted by a professional team, and you're on the bench, and you go to the practices, and everything, and you're and you're waiting for somebody. They're going to call your number. You're in now, and then the lights and everything like that. There you are. Um, so it's you're on the team. You know, you made it. You're not on the first string yet. You're not. You're observing the. You know the pros and so forth, and the games are faster. You know, and the most professionals, and is on the college, and there are other tricks, some of the trade and whatnot. So anyway, so it, it, it's a, it's a it's a type of um, perfection. It's often such persons are referred to as siddhas, and um, even though they have been um, attained the prem, which is the, the culture and intensification. Of the bhav, but the point is that sins of the soul will be carried into the soul world. They won't take you into Goloka, but into bhav, and then in the bhav, they'll be in due course eradicated. They may they may impede or slow down your ability to attain brain within bhava bhakti. Hmm? So, but then the sins of the flesh are a small thing in comparison. So, when the flesh is gone, then the reactions. So that is gone, and the flesh is gone, in, 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 for all intents and purposes, in, in Bhava Bhakti, hmm? where you've graduated from, from, from Sadhana Bhakti. Hmm? So there is a gradual eradication of, of, of karma, and at the same time, the Guru removes the karma. Because without the Guru, without getting the mantra, you can't do Bhajana Kriya, hmm? the practices, and so forth, and, uh, and they're required for removing the karma. So it's not that the guru takes your karma and then he or she's carrying around, you know, all your your karma of all the students. That would uh, be kind of odd. Hmm? And and if bhakti has the power to eradicate the karma, then why is anybody carrying it around? I thought it would be. Of course, some this the statement I I exp, uh, I um, cited from. Govinda Basha of Baladeva Jibhusan, that Krishna gives the good karma to his friends and the bad karma to his to his enemies, is um, I don't I don't remember Baladev's where that where he draws that reference from. I don't know if he just says it or he, if he um, has some support for it. But the idea behind it is that there's a strong idea in the scripture that karma that is manifest, prabdha karma needs to play itself out. I mean, this is the whole idea in this jnani school. So when a jnani is a jivan mukta, when he's liberated in this life, it means the parabdha karma is still manifest, and he's witnessing the parabdha karma play itself out, which it has to do, like the common cold, has to just be waited out. And when the karma is done, that's death of the jivan mukta. And then he or she attains... um, Videha Mukti, Videha, without the body entering into Brahman. Hmm? 
And so there's a strong emphasis that there's nothing that can be done about Prabhupada Karma. It's like happened. Hmm? So the powerful statements of Bhagavatam to the contrary as to the efficacy of bhakti, hmm, you got to know the scriptures to bring this out. Of course, the Goswamis did that. Um, but what Baladeva is saying there is this is a, a harmonization of the concept with the statement that bhakti removes the karma. In other words, if you want to take the point that karma can, prabhda karma can only be removed by playing itself out, and you want to take the point that bhakti has the power to remove karma, prabhda karma, eliminate prabhda karma, then they seem to be in contradiction. So he seeks to resolve it by saying that the prabhda karma plays itself out as it has to by way of Krishna removing it from your life and giving it to your friends or enemies. And then it plays itself out and bhakti removes the karma. Hmm? You see, in the life of the devotee. That's his, 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 his reasoning. <laughs> it's nice. I'd have to look and see if he's got some so if he su- supports that with some statement from the Upanishads or, or the Bhagavatam, some other sacred text. Yes? Well, you're reminding me of the story of, I can't say the name, King Nigra. King Nigra? Nigra. So, was that? I mean, he didn't even know what happened. And Krishna, re- Krishna removed his karma? Well, you know, with the cow thing, like... Oh, right, right. Oh, before that, yeah, yeah. So is that like a sin of the soul, or is that mortal? And and what's the point of that story? Because it's <laughs> like, he didn't even know he made an offense, and yet somebody took offense upon him. Yeah. yeah. And so you're talking about karma. But that offense was not in the realm of bhakti. So un- unbeknownst to him, he sold a cow twice, I think, to two different Brahmins or something like that? He, gave, he donated a cow to one Brahmin and then somehow it came back in his herd and he didn't know it and he donated it to another. And so the other Brahmin said, hey, that was my cow, now you give it to that guy. And he was so, so don't offend the Brahmins, but it, it's, it's not a, it wasn't an offense for bhakti, hmm? to bhakti. He wasn't against bhakti. Uh, and, and of course it wasn't, as you say, the intention was, Absent. So intention behind action obviously has a role to play. We can make the statement as Prabhupada would sometimes that it doesn't matter if you don't know that you should stop at a red light, you're still going to get a ticket. You should know is the point. That said, that doesn't do away with the fact that intention behind action has some bearing on what the reaction will be, its measure, its extent, um, and so on and so forth. So the story is a caution, you know, in one sense, but it has a happy, very happy ending, right? He becomes a lizard, and Krishna delivered him, right? Hmm? Yes. It's pretty auspicious. And also, like Brahman shouldn't really be so attached, right? I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let Chidahari follow up because he started the questioning. So it sounds like what you're saying is uh, that the, any mm, discomfort or whatever that the guru would experience as a result of taking on disciples would be like 
just like a mental worry, like, you know, not doing so good. Of course, there's going to be some kind of, you know, discomfort. And it's not like they're physically going to get sick or anything like that. Is that correct? Well, Pujapat Sridhar addressed the question like that. Um, so, thank you for reminding me of that. He was asked the exact same question. He said that the, the guru may feel some mentally some disturbance for the condition of the disciple, his or her inability to practice, and, and so forth. And you could make the argument from there, extending that mental disturbance could could show up physically in his life or something like that. Um, it's possible, but um, he kind of s- s- stretched the idea to in- somehow in- somehow included. I think it was somebody who probably said this. You know, he said, "Oh, well, we could look at it like this." Um, um, because probably would say that sometimes. Now, if you study all of his books, you're going to come to the conclusion that I've given you. That's an important thing. That therefore, he used to say, "I've given sixty books or whatever, and they should be all you read them. You know, sit down like scientists and study them." Because if you don't, then you take a couple statements out of context and you go waving your flag and think you've got the Siddhanta. Well, it's, every statement has to be understood in context uh, of the chapter of the paragraph of the book in relation to the other books, the overall Siddhanta, the teaching of the previous Acharyas, and then you can understand what is what is what is the Siddhanta on a particular issue. That's the whole uh, way in which this the, 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 the commentaries on the sutras proceed. There, there's a doubt that's raised, some shy, and then a Puvapakshan is it gives the it means the, the support for the doubt and scriptures are cited and so forth. In other words, I think this this is my feeling, and then and then the Purvapakshan supports it, and it's supported by this statement in Upanishad, this statement, and this statement. Therefore, we think this is the conclusion, and then the Siddhanta comes. No, hmm? that's not the conclusion because of this, and it gives the context, and, and here's the Siddhanta. So the harmonizing of different statements. So you just can't just go pick out a statement and and make a religion out of it. Hmm? It has to be understood. As I say, in context, but Sridharmarsh did say like that, that, um, that, uh, that the guru may be just disturbed at the plight of the disciple or whatnot, and that way he might be affected, but not that he's carrying around a bag of of everybody's karma. What's he going to do with it? I mean, if he, if he, if he was, if he was carrying out the, if he was bearing the weight of their karma, that would mean he would all that karma would have to play out. Because if it goes from you to me, it, it it's it's removed from you, but it's on me now. It has to play itself out. It would mean I hmm? a cross put me on the cross. There's a cross right there. He's taking it all. Say the sadhu is taking. Well, we we don't find too many devotees that have been crucified. Um, I mean, I guess you know that's a Christian idea that that the one, you know, horrific act of the crucifixion was 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 a playing out of all the karma. I mean, but the, really, the playing out of the karma is that each karma has to play itself out. It has a corresponding reaction. And and and, and 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 so forth. So it has to play out. So, I mean, how is it even possible that that 
your karma could then the guru would have to stay for all these lifetimes to play out the karma of everybody all at the same time i mean they're all conflicting karmas you know and 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 it's been you know anadi from a time without beginning everybody's got the karma so you have to understand these philosophical points and then you take the statements that Prabhupada or anybody else may make at times in, 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 and understand them in context. Hmm? And it's true. The Guru takes the karma. Hmm? And Prabhupada was suffering. <laughs> he felt, God, these people, they're killing me. You know, I'm just asking them to chant Hare Krishna and they're doing this and that. And, and, uh, and in his own humility. Yeah. Well, Vasudev, uh, was it Vasudev Dutt? Yes. He told Mahaprabhu, I want to take the karma of all the jivas in the world hmm? so they can all be liberated. And Mahaprabhu said, it's, it's a beautiful idea that you have, but it's, it's um, what's the meaning of one, if one she-goat gets lost from a herd of cows? He said, it's, there's one universe, there's millions of universes, zillions, unlimited universes, and it's a nice sentiment of a devotee, but... Um, and he appreciated it very much, but it's not working like that. It's not happening. So, so Prabhupada sometimes would uh, lament that uh, you know he was suffering because of well, he, he said because of accepting un, unqualified disciples. So that refers to the other statement I referred to from Hari Bhakti Bilas. Hmm. Um, yes, so go ahead. Sorry. In relation to Hare Bhakti Vilas, I've noted from time to time during your discourse you've, you've brought out a verse from Hare Bhakti Vilas. And it seems though a lot of, a lot of Hare Bhakti Vilas is not brought into the contemporary Bodhi Vaishnava practice. So how's the student to look upon that particular offering by Sanatanka Swami. Well, the way I look at the work there of Sanatanka Swami, Hari Bhakti Vilas, is that um, um, it's part of the uh, blueprint of the Sampradaya, and in order to establish a Sampradaya, which the Goswamis were doing, they needed various books. One of the books was, what is the, what is the, behavior of the devotees, what are their procedures, what are their mantras, how do they do this, how do they do that, how do they do marriages, how do they do initiations, how do they... So you need that, that kind of form. It's a form book, right? There's the form and there's the substance. So they need some form, and they needed perhaps more form than Gaudiya Vaishnavism needs. Hmm? And that comes out in the book, and I'll explain that to you. They needed more form because the main competitor, in a sense, um, was the Shankar Sampradaya. Well, there are other Vaishnav Sampradayas, and you can, you can if, you, if you know how to read, you can find in books like Chaitanya Charitamrita and other texts where the authors are actually um, addressing issues in other Sampradayas that they disagree with, and like the Ramanuja Sampradaya and so forth. But for the most part, you know, we're in agreement with the Vaishnav Sampradayas. But the Shankar Sampradaya, that's another thing. I mean, they, they, had, they had control of Jagannath Puri, and, and uh, as they do today even. Um, 
and and the people, you know, they had largely the smartest, the religious Brahminical arm of the Advaitins had almost a monopoly on on religion, and um, so they have all kinds of rules, the smartas. And then there's the Varnashram conception of religion, with all of its rules, how to do everything, and so forth. Then you got this group that's come along and say, "Hey, there are no rules. <laughs> you know, chant, be happy, or you know, uh, uh, that uh, that that bhakti marg uh, transcends the Varnashram, and you're not culpable." I mean, the, the the whole Advaitin and corresponding um, Smarta religious mystics and religious sectors of the Advaitin uh, Sampradaya, um, they're all tied. It's all tied in with Varnashram. You become a sannyasi, then you become free from the Varnashram. But um, otherwise, everybody's tied into the Varnashram, and so here's our path that comes, and we step on the head of Varnashram, and we got our own standards, and we don't have to follow the Varnashram, and to think that you have to, in order to uh, be successful in bhakti, is to think, is to not to practice uttam bhakti, but to practice bhakti that's covered by karma, which Rupa Goswami um, says we're not about, we're not doing that, from the onset of his book, not covered by jnana or by karma. So it's a big statement of his that the whole book evolves out of. But um, given the task, what's the climate of the times, how people are thinking, more structure had to be given to Gaudiya Vaishnavism than in, many, than in some respects is necessary. Hmm? And so it's a structure given that's very much corresponds with the times and the climate and the culture. And of course, it's very Indian-based as well. Um, some of the rules in there, you can't do them if you're not in India. You don't eat this at this time, and it doesn't even grow or, or whatever. You know, it only grows at another time or something like that. Things along those lines and so forth. So um, it's in, 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 in any really spiritual tradition... You're going to have substance and form, and the substance is going to prevail over the form. Although typically the form serves the substance, but it can get in the way of the substance, also, right? So, um, so it's a book about substance more than form, and it itself makes that point. And I'll give you an example. When um, uh, Sanatana Goswami gives the initiation. Rituals and practices and all that's needed, like okay, you got to fast, go bathe in a river, and this and and so forth and so on. We did one of those initiations at Audarya. My disciple, who recently passed away, um, his name is um, Nanda Tanuja. He was initiated at at, at Audarya, and uh, Brigupad, my disciple, who's a Sanskrit scholar and a ritualist, he did the yagya. I gave the initiation, and he went down to the waterfall, you know, the waterfall at Adaria. Down below, it's before the sun rise and bathed in the water and all. We did the whole thing, the long the long form, if you will. So in Bhakti, Hari Bhakti Vilas, Sanatana Goswami gives the long form for the Vaishnava initiation. Then he gives a shorter form, if you can't do it like that. And then he gives a shorter form, then he says, and... 
if you can't do that, just give them give the mantra. <laughs> so, it, 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 and at the end of the book, he says, "This book is written for um, for householders." Hmm? So, in that sense, it doesn't apply to Nirapiksha's renunciates, hmm? and um, and they then have the capacity to adjust it according to time and circumstance, and that's what we see. So how will we look at Hari Bhakti Vilas? We'll look at it how our, our Guru Maharaj looks at it. And I was once sitting with, um, what's his name? From the Radharaman Goswami family. He's a famous scholar, Shivats Goswami, at, um, at his place, and he was... Rather inappropriate, I would say, um, making comments from Hari Bhakti Vilas, like um, he started out that, at this point, he said nobody follows Hari Bhakti Vilas as strictly as we do. Hmm? Radharamanda Goswami's, and Radhar, you see, Hari Bhakti Vilas is a work of Sanatana Goswami and Gopal Bhatta Goswami, and exactly who the author is. Uh, I think it's Gopal Bhatta Goswami, actually, it's Sananda Goswami commented. There is a commentary on Hari Bhakti Vilas attributed to Sanatan, but my disciple Brigupad, whom I mentioned, is doing a translation of Hari Bhakti Vilas, and there's a question as to whether the commentary of Sanatan actually was written by Sanatan. He gave me some examples from the commentary that bring it into question. But at any rate, they, there at Hari at Radharaman family, they give more credit to the authorship of Hari Bhakti Vilas to Gopal Bhatta Goswami. So he said, nobody follows Hari Bhakti Vilas stricter than us. And I said, that's just the point. Because hmm? I was making some comment along the lines of substance and form. I said, that's the point. You're just underscoring the point I made. Nobody follows Hari Bhakti Vilas. You follow it more than anybody, but you don't follow it completely either. Hmm? You understand? He went on to tell me that in Hari Bhakti Vilasa said the guru should not be a sannyasi. Hmm? Should be a householder. He knows my guru was a sannyasi. I, you know, he's a gentleman, I bit my tongue. I could have said, and it also says he should be handsome. <laughs> Same verse. So these are relative statements, and and what is what the book is is, is a compilation of largely of verses that that Sanatana or Gopabhata or both of them have drawn from different scriptures, and they're giving some form to it, and and um, and so forth. And so there are statements in there that prophets that are more or less mundane, like a Brahmin should take initiation from a Brahmin guru, a Sudra should take initiation from a Sudra guru, something like that. He said this is more or less mundane. It's a good point in one sense because different people, if you have this, if you same psychology, then you can connect on a psychological level. Um, you know, if the guru's from the same town as you, you know, whatever, the same culture, then there's so many points that you already, you know, you get, you know, you're on the same page culturally, automatically. There's a kind of a communication that you have um, that if you're from a different culture, well, then there could be some disconnect and so forth. So it's an advantage in one sense, but ultimately the substance is you have to have a qualified, spiritually qualified guru. 
if you have a guru from the same country, but he's not qualified, you know, then better have one from, you know, from Siberia, right? From outer space that's qualified because he'll be able to overcome substantially, at least, the cultural barriers for understanding. But if you have both the relative and the absolute together, then you got to, you know, the best of both worlds, something like that, is the idea. So, this is some examples of how to look at Hari Bhakti Vilas. And nobody follows it. Not even, not even Gorkesha. <laughs> and don't eat eggplant. So in Hari Bhakti Vilas, there are many statements you shouldn't eat eggplant. And Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Charitamrita is eating eggplant. You can read it. Eggplant's part of many of the feasts and so forth. So, so there's some relativity to Hari Bhakti Vilas. They needed needed a book that was like like the smartest book, you know, I have to do everything, you know. Then people think, oh, it's a real tradition. Hmm? Just like the initiation, if you don't have a fire and mantras and bells ringing and whistles blowing and everything, pe- people think nothing's happening. Hmm? Just whispering somebody's ear, that's all, so, you know. So, but that is the whole substance of it. When we did the yagya for installing Krishna Balaram in, in Krishna Balaram Mandir for Prabhupada, it was a three-day yagya, and it was a huge event with all types of procedures from morning to night every day. Brahmins coming in, chanting Vedic mantras, different people coming in, putting a flower, this guy for this, this for that. And every now and then there would be the function of the acharya. So they'd call Prabhupada, he would come in, put a Tulsi leave and leave, you know, leave and go, and so forth. So it was a huge ritual, big, big affair. Three days it went on for hmm? Now you have to understand what's happening. This is this is in Vrindavan in India, and not everybody's a Gaudi Vaishnavas, and a lot of people Gaudi Vaishnavas they don't they're not that well learned or that many, that much realized. And we were Western people, and Prabhupada was introducing us to Vrindavan as real devotees, and they had real doubts about us, hmm? whether we, you know because they had all kinds of ideas what Western people were like. Hmm? Couldn't touch them. Didn't want to stand in their shadow. You know they were. They were the, you know, they were the foreigners who, you know, were cow killers and so forth. You know, they're based on information that they've, you know, received and so forth. It's thought in many sampradayas, if the acharya crosses the ocean, he's done. That's it. You know, he's he's left Bharat. You know, hmm? something like that. So their emphasis is within Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Don't leave the dom. You leave the dom. You're in, in Maya. So of course, Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, they left for preaching. They started that kind of. The, Campaign like most of the charges, they'll never leave the Dom. Bhakti hmm? Sananta left the Dom and he said, My zone's wherever there's Maya, that's my zone. Hmm? GBC or not. Hmm. So, so, um, at, at that time, during, the, during the, the installation, the installation also was culminated by an initiation ceremony, or there was, that was part of it. It was initiation for, and there were like five, I think five or six Brahmin boys born in the Braj who were Brahmin boys from Brahmin families. They were getting initiated by Prabhupada. You don't know how big of a statement and controversy that was. We were just going along with our, you know, practices and everything, but it was really a big thing amongst the community. Prabhupada was trying to like convince all of them the whole thing was, you know, bona fide. This was a big thing. Meanwhile, friends and 
relatives of these boys would say things like, yeah, how many chapatis are we going to eat? In other words, how, how contaminated are you going to become? Because you're going to eat grains cooked by Western people and you know, your whole Brahminical status is going to be lost. And this is how they were thinking. So it was a, quite a victory you know, for Prabhupada to establish uh, a temple in Vrindavan and other places in India with his Western devotees. They, we weren't um, very well accepted. And there was a movie out and about too, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram, and people smoking pot and taking LSD and chanting and stuff like that, some kind of B-movie or something that somebody put out. And Indians, some Indians thought we were you know, part of the CIA and... And uh, it was a whole. Th- so anyway, there were a lot of you know questions about us, but in Vrindavan it was about you know kind of a kind of a a Varnashram ruled perspective. Not this is one of the beautiful things about Prabhupada. The Prabhupada's um, trust in us and his and his complete uh, acceptance of us to uh, cook for us, to eat what we cooked, um, and, 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 and initiate us and so forth. This is a huge thing that many Acharyas would never do. And some are doing only on the strength of what he did, even though they don't appreciate him fully. They, 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 I mean, I've been in Vrindavan. I remember once walking down a road in Vrindavan in, in, in the Gore colony, and at the end of the road there was a big... Gaudiya Vaishnava festival going on. All kinds of tyagis were, were were pouring in there, and somebody was going to speak. So I went. They wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't let me in the gate. They just like, wouldn't look at me. You can't come in here. These are Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Hmm? What's his name? Um, Hi Hi. Is it Hi Griva? No, not Hi Griva. Prabhupada's disciple who took second initiation from Bon Maharaj. Hrishikesh, Hrishikesh Ananda. Hmm? He was in India with um, Achyutananda, hmm? and Prabhupada was in America, and they, were, they needed an association. He went to Bon Marsh, and, and then he became a member of Bon Marsh's mission. And the disciples of Bon Marsh in the mission would be careful not to stand in the shadow that his body cast. Hmm? So, there's two things going on here. One is the is the propaganda and information that they've got about the West, and the other thing is, what is the position of bhakti? That's where we we make it's easy for us to kind of yes, bhakti can do this, bhakti can do that. Bhakti standing on the head of a of a varnashram is is such a huge issue. It's so huge. If you have lived in a varnashram dharma, varnashram culture for hundreds and thousands of years. Hmm? And along comes this idea of bhakti. Although it's there in the Bhagavatam, nobody has brought it out like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's like he is in the Bhagavatam waiting for his appearance and then his devotees to explain it in a light that it's never been explained before. And the first thing he does is make Haridas Thakur, the Namacharya, the Malecha, the outcast. Take Rup and Sanatan, who are outcasts from the Hindu society, and make them the leaders they are the they are the they are the the new group is the new vyasa hmm? of 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 Gaudiya Vaish. just like the the, the new Brahma Tene Brahma Hridayati Kaviye as Bhagavatam begins and Rupa and Kaviraj Goswami gives this example as Mahaprabhu as Krishna 
inspired, wakened all the Vedic truths in the heart of Brahma, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did it to Rupa Goswami, empowered him for preaching in the world and so forth. So, and they were, again, Rupa Sanatana, they were rejected by the Hindu community because of their involvement in the Muslim government, hmm? associating with the, with the, um, with the out, from a Vedic point of view, the outcasts, mediators, and so forth. And so the, 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 the you know, the, he was doing this consistently. Therefore, it came to the point in Bengal after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that if you had no caste, you just called yourself a Gaudiya. And then you considered your social position had been improved. Hmm. So, because there's more to it than that, obviously. So, but it's a big, big thing. It's a big, big point. Hmm. What is bhakti and what is varnashram? What is the difference? And that bhakti steps on the head of varnashram, hmm? who comes under the uh, Vaishnava diksha has no responsibility within varnashram. That is the meaning of the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita. Sarva dharman, put it in a job. Mam ekam, me only. Varnashram is the worship of many, many gods and goddesses for many, many things. And bhakti is the worship of Krishna for one thing, love of Krishna. Hmm? Who comes under that has no obligation to any gods, goddesses. Indeed, yasyasti bhakti bhagavati akinchana. Just the opposite. The demigods worship him or her. And all their good qualities manifest in, in that devotee. This is Prahlad's statement. Just the opposite. Varnashram means you've got to worship all the gods for so many things. Prahlad didn't want anything. I'm going to get you China. Hmm? Shingadeh said, take something, take something. I don't want anything. Take something. I'm here. I'm God. People want something. I come. I give. I don't want anything. Hmm? So, no, no, he's the beginning of real Shuddha Bhakti. No selfishness. Hmm? Yeah? So, um, he makes a statement. Just the converse. Worshipping Krishna only for love of Krishna and all the demigods worship you. <laughs> this is the difference between bhakti and varnashram. Hmm? It's huge, but it's it's to to carve that out. You know, in a varnashram society, they had a chore. Hmm. The devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I mean, on the power of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his love, his ecstasy, and so forth. He was just kind of just doing it, and it was a following coming and so forth. But then to write about it, to put it in, to give it some form, hmm, and so forth, and make it a tradition, and, and, and there was resistance from other other Vaishnav sampradayas, hmm, from the Varnashram people, from the Smartas. The Smartas tried to assassinate Bhakti Siddhartha hmm, for this very point, making the point, Bhakti trumps Varnashram. It's, it's. Uh, Get it right. And that's, in one sense, what Bhakti Vinod was concerned about when he said, teach Daiva Varnashram, not this bogus Varnashram that says that Bhakti is subordinate to, to Varnashram and, and ends in Mukti. Hmm? No, that's a Sura Varnashram. Divine Varnashram is the Varnashram given in the Bhakti, in, in, in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? In the seventh canto, Varnashram is described in 
in in in in in, in, in Bhagavatam, and it's Vishnu centered, but again, it's not for the Ananya Bhaktas, hmm? either householders or renunciates. It's for to use Baladev's terms. It's this for the Sanishta devotees, not the Parinishta, not the Nirapiksha. Sanishta means their their devotion is mixed with karma. It has to be. <laughs> You follow the Varnashram, that's the karma marg. Hmm? Gyan marg is sattva guna. Hmm? Karma marg is rajaguna. Bhakti marg is nirguna. <laughs> nirguna. Sattva guna, rajaguna, they can't get you out of the gunas. Nirguna bhakti can. You have to understand who these Goswamis are. They could pull all this out of the scripture. Nana, shastra, vichara, naikani, punosa, dharma, samstapako. Their work is extraordinary. How they drew from all these texts to point out. It's just exactly what Nara told Vyasa to do. They did it to, you know, to the nth degree. They took what Vyasa did, makes the Bhagavatam like a synopsis, kind of, and then they, then they just turned it into, you know, they, they, it's like the bud. They turned it into the flower and the fruit. With so many literatures all orbiting around the Bhagavatam, emanating from the Bhagavatam, bringing out what its central position is, which, which is what is the central position of bhakti, what Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, who is Radha, all these things, and how this is consistently the message of all the sacred texts of the Hindus. Hmm? It's an amazing accomplishment. That they did. Well, I mean, it's still a, a going, an ongoing. You know, I mean, they set it in motion, um, but it's, it's an ongoing affair. If you study their work, it's it's it, you cannot refute it. You cannot refute their position from scripture. Hmm? So, um, yeah. So um, the Varnashram, Hari Bhakti Vilas, is like you know, it's kind of like a Sounds kind of like Varnashram or something like that. So it's kind of like in with a like a needle out, like a plow kind of approach. And that said, I mean, all the things in Varnashram, if you in, in high bhakti philosophy, if you find follow them, it won't be bad for you, be good for you. But but they're not possible to follow in many instances. They're relative to certain uh, culture, time, place, um, and so we should interpret it and apply it relative to how our acharya does it. Um, that's right. <laughs> they hardly mention it. They hardly mention it. That's a fact. Yes. So how can um, you were talking about when Prabhupada was installing Krishna and Balaram, and there's a group of Gaudiya. Oh yeah, and I wanted to finish that. When he when he did that, just the last part, he initiated the Brahma boys. I mean that was huge, but. It was it was like okay their fathers were letting them do it the boys were coming you know and they took initiation so it was a big big thing but anyway this big ritual and when it was all over three days of ritual Prabhupada told us in private actually when we did kirtan the whole thing was perfect the deities were installed the rest of it was just all to to appease the people that they thought all that was required <laughs> that's what he told us hmm? so. Yeah. How do they call themselves Gaudiya Vaishnavas if they, I mean, what Chaitanya? They interpret things differently. They they interpret through a lens 
of Varnashram. There, there are disciples of Prabhupada. There's a disciple of Prabhupada who, who was born in a Brahmin. He was one of the boys. Isn't that Krishna Mullen, one of the boys that was initiated at that time? I think so. And he left after Prabhupada left at some time and started his own thing. His whole campaign was, unless you're born in a Brahmin family, you can't be a guru. He wrote a book about it. It was a joke. He went to some Gaudiya people. Like He went to Narayan Maharaj, I remember, to get, to get it endorsed. And Narayan Maharaj said, this isn't our teaching. Hmm. So how would they interpret like Lord Chaitanya's conversations with Ramananda Roy, hmm. which completely dispels Varnashram Dharma as being? Well, they don't necessarily say that Varnashram is Trump's Gaudiya Vaishnavism or Bhakti but they they interpret Gaudiya statements through the filter of Varnashram. So, for example, Mahaprabhu told your site. Ramananda Sambad, Mahaprabhu told Ramananda Roy, Kiba Vipra Kiba Nashi Shudra Kenena, Ye Krishna Tattva Veda Se Guru Hai. Kiba Vipra Kiba Nashi Shudra Kenena, whether you're a Brahmin, a sannyasi, Kiba Vipra Kiba Nashi Shudra Kenena, you're a Sudra, whatever position you're in in the Varna Ashram, Varna or Ashram, it doesn't matter. Ye Krishna Tattva Veda Se Guru Hai. If you know the truth about Krishna, you're my guru. So Mahaprabhu was from a Brahmin family, and he was a sannyasi. And Ramananda Roy was from a Sudra family that had become the, the had a kind of a special status as the Kayastas. Prabhupada was from the same community, Kayastas, um, that gave them administrative, clerical duties, and so forth. Anyway. It's a long story, but he was anyways a sudra, hmm? and he wasn't a sannyasi. So how can he be the according to Varnashram? How can he be the guru of a Brahmin sannyasi? And Mahaprabhu just said, "It doesn't matter, right?" So they will interpret it and say, "Yes, Siksha guru, but he cannot be Diksha guru." Hmm? That's their interpretation. So, so, but no, no, nobody who's not born a Brahmin can be a, can be a Diksha guru. Hmm? But then they'll cite something somewhere, Hari Bhakti Vilas, or this or that, or I don't, I don't know. But it's not, um, I mean, we have some, Gorka Shurdas Babaji was not from a a uh, Brahmin family, Prabhupada wasn't, Bhakti Vinod was not from a Brahmin family. Krishna Balaram has this whole convoluted argument that was from a Brahmin. Uh huh, okay, he tries to make the Kayastas Brahmins and so forth. Yeah. Anyway, so that's just an example, and, and there are others. So they're Godias, but they, you know, they, they're influenced by their Hindu Varnashram samskars, and that's why I'm saying it's hard to make that that break. It's not hard for you because you know you're a hippie, you know, <laughs> we are you and me, you know. <laughs> so, you know, but they've got this whole thing. They're invested in this with their genes and their karma for like. You know, generations, and, and and so it has a power that you know that it's hard for us to understand. But but that's that's why. So it's through that filter, and 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 it's there's our the statements about the efficacy of bhakti are extraordinary. I mean, they're extraordinary. Like you know, nam can remove all your karma. You know, even a shadow of it, and so forth. So they'll they'll want to. Kind of make some interpretation of it that's that doesn't allow it to be all it, that it can be. You can even find this in Jiva Goswami at the time. 
they were establishing the sampradaya, you know, and they had to tread a little carefully, you know, you can only do so much. So, you know, he, with regard to the Bhagavatam verses, I think he made the statement something to the effect that, well, that um, if you're if you're not born in a Brahmin family, then you can't do the Brahmin activities in the next life or something. I, I forget exactly what he said. You're qualified, but like Brahmin boys qualified, but still he needs the education and the diksha or something like that. So you the can next do spiritual things, but you can't do the social things like marry a Brahmin girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you know, it's not an issue really. You can't do Brahmin Brahminical rituals. We're not interested in doing them. You know, we're not interested in. We're interested in archon, so we can do that. But uh, you know, then you come now a century later. So Vishnu Thakur, the environment's different, and so his commentary is is like heavy, 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 heavy as to the efficacy of bhakti. He doesn't like hold back at all. Hmm? I mean, you look at his commentary on the conclusion of Rasalila. Hmm? Vikritam Vrajabadu Vikritam Chavishnu Shadhanvitam Nushanayaratavarnayadya Bhaktim Param Patilabdhakamam Vridrogamash Papatinyotiatirena Dira Hearing the Bhagavatam Sugadeva is asked by Prikshit Ah, that's a great story, but how can it be that God is like an adulterer? You know, how are we how are we going to sell that to the public? That's Parikshit's kind of like whoa, and he says, "Don't worry about it." He said, "You know, the power of this leela is such that if if you hear it and from qualified persons, it will enter your heart, and the disease of of lust will be taken out." Bhakti will go in and will take it out. It's not that heart will be cleansed, then bhakti will come in. Bhakti will go in, the dirty heart, and take it out. Hmm? He's saying that 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 the power you're concerned that this may be thought by people as a license for lusty affairs. But I'm telling you, if you hear this, lust will go out of your heart, and he, and and, and the commentary of Vishnu is like really powerful. He just doesn't give any resistance. Bhakti Jiva Goswami is a little more conservative in it, and they're hundred some years apart. So, by the time of Vishnu Chakri Thakur, the Sampradayas had decades and decades of of um, initiates and procedures and books, and he's writing so many books, and so consistently in his books, you can see he is writing in a different time. Hmm? And um, he, he doesn't have to be at all in like a needle. He's out like a plow about the efficacy of bhakti. He, he's like you know antinomianism. You know people can complain. What's going on here? You know, um, like it's like sounds like it sounds, sounds like sin. You know, just believe in Jesus and it's okay. You know, it's kind of takes on kind of a anti domain type of, you know, kind of uh, sensibility, but uh, 
such as the power of bhakti. Yeah. Um, well, I have a question, but I, I did read in the Bhagavatam what Prabhupada said about to his question in a simple way. I mean, you explained it really nicely, but how he said that the spiritual master doesn't, isn't Krishna protects him from the karma of his Very good. He said that. Yeah. That would be a good quote because a lot of Prabhupada's disciples are yeah. not clear on that I point. And you talked about on a phone call one time, and then after that, I had read it in the Bhagavatam. Just see. It's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my question is, um, Prabhupada is saying here that um, when they merge either in the causal ocean or the impersonal Brahmacharya fulgence, and I never heard that emerge in the causal ocean, so I was just wondering. Well, that would be kind of a, um, I suppose, be the Buddhist's place, something like that. Kind of a, a, a um, um, what do we call it? Um, prakriti nirvana, a Brahma nirvana, prakriti not nirvana, merging with material nature. Just like you, if you study Brihat Bhagavatamrita, Gopal Kumar comes in touch with the, the dimension of earth, the dimension of water, the dimension of fire, the corresponding god or goddess. And they invite him to merge with that. So there's different types of prakriti nirvana, if you will. Hmm? Extinguishing oneself of sorts by identifying with the elements. And uh, so anything short of merging with Brahman is some type of prakriti nirvana. So the Buddhists seem to advocate that overall. And I also wanted to say that in so many pages of the Bhagavatam, as I read it, Prabhupada does say that you fall from the Brahma Jyoti, you go back down to the material but he also says you need a guru, and that's probably, you know, that's how we can get the straight answer. I was just comparing how you could, like, get confused because as yeah. much as he says you need a guru, he also says, he says it so often that you fall from the... Well, that's one of Prabhupada's main feet, you know, forward, is that he felt that in his books he had to emphasize in every way, take every opportunity and create opportunities to um, to uh, erode any faith in mayavad, what is it, nirvishesha sunyavadi, nirvishesha sunyavadi, this was, he wanted, he was a, he, this is his own verse about himself. This, this is my... Through the words of Chaitanya, we to destroy in the Western world Nirvishesan Sunyavadi. Without getting rid of that, you can't get Bhakti. So that was his particular emphasis. So he took opportunities and created opportunities to do that. And so that's an example of that. Um, but properly understood, yes, the Jivan Mukta is in Brahma Jyoti. Hmm? He's waiting for his karma to end. Hmm? But he can fall from there. But once the karma has ended, and he, he is now in Brahman without a body, he's in Brahman with a body, which is kind of like the penultimate state, but he is considered liberated hmm? in Brahman, and, but he has a body here. So once the body's gone, then there's no... There's no return. And the verse that Prabhupada cites consistently to, as a praman, as evidence for his point, falling from Brahman, it is, goes something like this. Mm, how's that verse start? 
Yenyevrabindakshavimuktamaninas. Yenyevrabindakshavimuktamaninas. Vimuktamaninas. They think, vimuktamanina, that they're liberated. Yenyevrabindakshavimuktamanina tad avishuddha buddhaya. But their, their, their buddha, buddhi is avishuddha. It's not pure. Hmm? And, uh, and they, they, because uh, they don't have regard for bhakti, they fall down. Now, you can't attain Brahman without bhakti. So if you have disregard for bhakti, you can't attain Brahman. Hmm? You understand? So the verse isn't talking about someone who's attained Brahman, but it's talking about someone who's attained Brahman as a jivan mukta. So Prabhupada's just, you know, painting it with a broad brush to just, again, rain on the party of you know, Nirvishesh here. Hmm? He's painting it with a broad brush and saying, fall down even for Brahman. Hmm? But fall down from Brahman as experienced by a jivan mukta. And then Prabhupada would say that. They again become, become philanthropists, altruists. And you say they think they're purified. Abhishuddha Buddha, but their intelligence is not purified. They're not. Hmm? So, you know, if you want to now go in there as time goes on when and sharpen the pencil, so to speak, you know, because Prabhupada's painting everything with a broad brush because his outreach is broad, hmm? number one, and number two, with a broad brush, well, then, you, you, you know, you have to, um, well, you have to paint with a broad brush, so there are, you know, there's fine-tuning to be done, so he left some service for us to do, to sharpen the pencil and say, Yes, one can fall down from 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 Brahman realization as a jivan mukta, and that's how you, you see how that verse, that's the Bhagavatam verse from the second chapter of the tenth canto, prayers of the demigods, I believe it's titled. That verse is invoked in Chaitanya Charitamrita, and where it's invoked and then explained in Bengali, he uses the very word jivan mukta. The jivan mukta is a jivan. So it's really only a, you know, a, like I say, a kind of a sharpening of the pencil. and It's not untrue hmm, that people fall from Brahman. Hmm? These people are going around Om Narayan and, and, uh, and they're considered liberated. And, uh, you know, you get your Ramana Maharshis and people like that. They're examples of that. Tell hmm? that the spiritual contemporary world, yeah. It seems that the biggest misconception when, when it comes to Brahman realization that I've come across in the Gaudi community is that they don't realize uh, that the followers of Sankaracharya, those are not truly, they're radical non-dualists. They don't have the proper conception of Brahman realization that encompasses the utilization of bhakti necessary to actually obtain liberation. Yeah. They use Sankaracharya's misinterpretation. Right. And therefore they'll never attain Brahman because they never take that little bit of bhakti required to become perfect. Vishwana Chakriti Thakur makes the point that it's very, very difficult for an Advaitan Maya body to attain his goal because it's very, very difficult to be an Advaitin in Shankar's line and avoid offending Bhakti and Bhagwan. 
and you can't go there, you can't get any kind of liberation by offending them. I mean, the very idea that the form of the Bhagavan is 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 non-eternal, it's, 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 it's a core tenet, you know, so. Therefore, in his verse, in his explanation of the famous Gita verse, Brahma Bhuta Prasannatma Naso Chutinakamsit Samasai Veshi Bhuteshu Magbhuktim Labhate Param. He cites four different types of jnanis, two of which will be um, will be able to attain their goal, either to merge with Brahman or to go further. Hmm? As it's gyan mixed with bhakti. If your ideal is to merge with Brahman, then you can get it. But your idea can also be to have bhakti tempered by gyan. Hmm? With more awareness of the personhood of the God, at attain Shantarasa, for example, let's say, and then two types of of um, of, of, of gyanis who can't attain. Hmm? So that should be studied. Yeah. Well, one time we on the weekend we went and did some outreach and had someone stay at our house and she was a Maya body, but and she thought that our deities were. This material that she did a lot of service for them. So, what is that then? Is she? Well, it depends. You know, a lot of people are uneducated, and and they may have a, a general idea, and they're not opposed to your idea, but they don't understand your idea. You know, that that of, of Leela and so forth. So, I think that's not a problem for those people. In time, they get to hear more, and they get some samandagyan. They can become devotees. But if someone is very steeped in 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 the Gyan Mark, and it's just very difficult to uproot that, because if if you if you in order to be uh, committed to the ideal, for example, of the Gyan Mark of of, of of merging in Brahman. Part of the Gyan Marga is mumukshatva. Mumukshatva. It's like the it's like the, the longing of Gaudiya Vaishnavas to attain um, rasa with Krishna. There's a longing to merge with Brahman. Hmm? Now, in order to attain that longing, to cultivate that, hmm, you have to retire all material desires. You understand? So material desires are powerful, but the desire for mukti that has the power to retire all material desires is obviously way stronger than all material desires put together. And if, if you've cultivated that strong of a desire that is in that has nothing to do with bhakti, it's just about getting away from material life. Hmm? has no really concern for it's really self concerned, no concern for Bhagwan or service or and just to get out. Hmm? Then how hard is it to to change that desire compared to trying to change someone's material desire, which they're going to give up anyway. At some point they're going to get frustrated with and do something else. Try another thing. So the the, the fleeting nature of the material desires is more fer, makes for more fertile ground for planting seeds of bhakti, then a bunch of group and a group of jnanis who were like sitting in a cave, you know, we want mukti and we're ready to like live in the Himalayas in the winter naked for it. Trying to get, you know, deal with that desire is <laughs> harder 
Therefore, it's, it's, it's very undesirable from a bhakti point of view. Hmm? So to pull them out, that, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu pulled out Prakasananda. Sriman Mahaprabhu, what yeah. kind of power he had. Um, did Shankaracharya teach such extreme Advaita to um, uh, inhibit people from reaching Brahman realization? Well, there are different opinions about that, you know, different Puranic statements about it. Hmm. There's a Puranic statement about uh, Shiva being empowered to what to preach veiled Buddhism hmm, in the form of Advaitavad with the purpose of bringing people, the Gnostikas, which means from Indian philosophy, the Gnostikas are atheists, but atheist means they don't accept the Veda. That's what atheist means. They don't accept the Veda. Hmm, as, as, as a source of knowledge. So the Buddha rejected the Veda because the Veda is prominently full of rituals and sacrifices and so forth for the attainment of material things. Now the Upanishads say something different, obviously, and that resonates more with with the Buddhist idea. But the Buddha threw out the Vedas. If they say this, then we throw the whole thing out. We don't need it. And so... Um, and particularly, you know, he was uh, he advocated ahimsa and their animal sacrifices in the Vedas and so forth. That seemed to be part of it. So, the whole group started of uh, the Buddha moving away from the ritualistic section of the Vedas. Hmm. Shankar was supposedly, according to Purana, empowered to come and bring people back to the Vedas. But in order to do that, he had to give a Buddhist-like idea. Because otherwise, how would how would he, you know, you can't move people too far. So. The actually idea of Brahman merging in Brahman, the Nirvishesha, and the Shunyavad of the Buddhists, they're very, very similar. Hmm. That's why now in modern times, these Neo Advaitins and the Neo Buddhists, they think there's no difference, whatever, you know, Nirvishesha, for the most part. Hmm. So they're very similar. So there's an argument, anyway, that Shankar was empowered to. In India, where Buddhism had grown widely under Ashok, Maharaj Ashok, and the sword of the king, to argue and bring back the authority of the Vedas. And so Buddhism was pretty much driven out of India. I mean, you know, it's, it's very limited in India. And Dwaitans, like everywhere, so I guess he was successful. And so there is an argument that that was the purpose, hmm? and 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 then now, having established the Veda, then there's room for Ramanuja to come and speak on the Veda from a theistic point of view, hmm? and Madhva, and, and then these are all like um, guest speakers before the main event of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent and. That's kind of usually how it's um, explained. So, from a Puranic point of view and from a kind of a Gaudiya point of view, that's generally how it's looked at. Hmm. Otherwise, if you want to look at that, you can just look at it like Shankar taught this, and you, you know, it was 
it's it's a wrong idea. <laughs> it's it, he he doesn't. Um, although he establishes the Veda as pramana, he also invents his own ideas there, like Saguna Brahman is his own idea. That there's a Brahman, and then Brahman takes a Savaguna, takes a form as Ishwar. That's not supportable, really, by the scripture. Hmm. So there, you know, what what are you going to say? There are different mystics in India that don't accept. In the case of the Buddha, I guess, and then and, and then some that do accept the scriptures, and they interpret them in different ways, and they have some realization, and um, and we accept that there are different realizations, transcendence that one could have, and um, and so forth, and um, so. There are different interpretations of the scripture. There's there's realizations based on karma, mishra bhakti, gyan mishra bhakti, yoga mishra bhakti, shuddha bhakti, aishvarya bhakti, madhurya bhakti, different types of that, and so we kind of got kind of a big big menu here of possibilities. Hmm. So you can you can take. I I don't think that outside of Gaudi Vaishnavism, people are going to take the the argument that Shiva was empowered as Shankar and he taught for this reason and it taught through this progression. Although we can look at a progression as I pointed out to it. Buddhism to Shankar to Ramanuja. There is an arg- arguably a progression there hmm, of, of insight into the implications of the sacred texts and as to the nature, the full nature of transcendence. Especially when you arrive at the full-blown picture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you're not going to find a theological uh, argument or story in the world that, that that is as robust as Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, as I said, you know, most you're going to find something ending in in some type of agape, use a Greek term, of reverential love. And in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it has erotic, transcendental love, which is thought to be the antithesis, the erotic love of the of the godly love for the Greeks and in many schools in India as well. So it's it's very like full palette there, you know, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Just and that's just an objective point. So you could make this argument, I suppose, over centuries there's been in Kali Yuga, you know, there have been a charge spoken one way or another and there's a progression and flowers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Or you can just say Shankar is a mystic, and this was his interpretation, and and uh, we don't agree with it, <laughs> and this is why. And we take it from a scriptural point of view. I mean, because this is the old tradition, of course. They looked at it from the scriptural point of view. So Ramanuja, Madhva, they argued against the Shankar. It's right, based on the scripture. If you understood the scripture wrong, then then and, and you're practicing according to that wrong understanding, then you're not going to get the goal. So, you know, now we're in a world now where it's not like the standard knowledge amongst the people. So, some of the same arguments are not going to have the same weight. Hmm. Um, but you can argue as to the, just from a logical point of view, with people, I believe, that have some weight, and just from a point of view of, kind of, like I say, the charm of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You know, like I often say, what's better? Love to exist or to exist to love? There's no argument there. One is Shankar's idea, in a sense. 
the jnana idea, one is the bhakti idea, so, simple. You know, and then the Gaudi Vaishnava gets complicated because Shiva's really a Vaishnava, you know, and so forth. And so, but th- these are arguments from centuries past hmm, that um, maybe had more weight in those those, those times than, than they will arguing with people today, probably. All right, we talked a long time. Today. Let's stop there. Kartik Vrataki Jai. Or Adamadava Kijai. Or Vaishnava Guru Parampara Kijai. Or Bhakti Vrindaki Jai. Or Pramana.